Now we want to look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And uh, on page 1063, page 1063, and uh, we're going to be looking at verse 34. Truly I say to you, Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, you'll see it, Jesus answered them. Well, why were they asking him a question about freedom? Let's go back now to verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide, you rest, you remain in my word, my teaching. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. I have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And there's the answer. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us as we look into this word. Oh Father, we thank you so much that Jesus, our Savior and Lord, lived Uh, 2,000 years ago, full of grace and truth. And he dealt with friends and foe with the same compassion and love. He, he, He dealt with friends with stern words and loving with a loving heart. And he also dealt with his enemies with a loving heart but stern words. Oh, Father, we pray that you might speak to us tonight to help us Uh, to make changes in our life in this particular area that you were talking about. Uh, Both, uh, Lord, as as you spoke those words to your disciples, but also, Lord, as you spoke through Paul um, to the people in Ephesus. Lord, open your eyes, our eyes, Lord, that we may see wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm, I'm going to start off with a question. I'm, I'm now going to talk about an island, okay? And I, I want, if anybody can tell me, guess which island it is, you can perhaps put up your hand. On this island, there were organized manhunts for a, and uh, to track, track down people who were slaves. Um, onto this island came a constant supply of new slaves, very cheaply. Why? Because it was more profitable for their masters to, to, to work them to death with labor, harshness. They had no proper place to sleep in, and they died of malnutrition and beatings and other things like that. And because they, were, they could be cheaply replaced by other, other, um, other slaves being bussed in, 
And a plantation system was on the island where thousands of slaves died every year, worked to death, often in chains around their legs and being locked up at night, suffocating. Uh, in fact, uh, some of the slaves who, who escaped would become bandits uh, to survive. Uh, but a beautiful island became a horrible den of misery, brigandage, atrocity, and death. I actually, I'm a, that's a quotation from someone. And you know where that island was? Was it Barbados or Jamaica? Well, I'll tell you. It was Sicily. And, uh, you know, in southern Italy. And it wasn't recently. It was 135 years before Christ. Now, this kind of horrific, awful things that happened in Sicily... 2,000 years ago, have, of course, been repeated innumerable times in every, nearly every civilization and every continent of the world. You know, civilization, we think, oh, yes, that's when people organized farming and they were able to build cities and, and they, had, they had organizations of armies and bureaucrats and literacy and religion and buildings and slaves. Now, whether you go to the Middle East, Ur of the Chaldees, was where Abraham came from, 2,000 years before Christ, 1,800 years before Christ. It was based on slavery. The whole of the Sumerian civilization was. Egyptian civilization. Civilization after civilization, whether it be China, which had slavery uh, 1,000 years before Christ, India, which had, uh, had, had slavery 600, 700 years before Christ uh, organized, whether it, whether it be the African kingdoms, which... Uh, had a whole organization, uh, not many people know about African kingdoms, but there were African kingdoms going back centuries and centuries before they had any contact with European civilization. And these African kingdoms practiced uh, slavery on a mass scale through warfare. The Aztecs had a similar, uh, had a similar approach uh, to the African kingdoms. Uh, the, the Aztecs, when they, conquered, um, when, they, when they conquered different armies, different places... They would either put all of the, um, all of the uh, uh, prisoners of war to death by human sacrifice to their gods, or they enslaved them. And they actually had a double whammy. Often, they had them for slaves for a time, and then a thousand at a time would sacrifice them to their gods. Actually, crossing, crossing the Atlantic, uh, the, South, you know, the South Atlantic, uh, to, to Africa, in Dahomey, they had sim- a similar ritual. Um, in Dahomey, uh, when, they, when they won a war, um, uh, they would have um, slaves captured and would actually sacrifice 500 every year, kill them, slaughter them before their gods. So when you look at the history of the world, not just the Roman civilization, but every nation upon earth, slavery has blighted the earth. It is one of the great shames of Britain that it participated in this shameful practice that has blighted civilizations for thousands and thousands of years. And the thing is, the New Testament has quite a lot to say to those who are slaves. Um, We haven't really got time to look into all of the passages, but Paul talks about um, how slaves should react to this unjust and wicked system. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, for instance, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The book of Philemon uh, is written to 
um, uh, someone who owns a slave, about a, 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 an escaped slave. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 um, and uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 18 to 25 goes into how, how human beings, men and women who are slaves, are actually to respond in this wicked and vile institution, which is, you know, from the long point of view, it was. Um, I mentioned when I was talking about this, uh, my first talk on, on this passage, that um, Christianity, the Bible in the Old Testament, firstly um, gave rules to, uh, that slavery should be, uh, should be conducted in a just fashion in Israel. And there were, there were uh, constraints upon it. I mentioned that, like the, the, Moses is teaching on divorce, um, which Jesus tells us divorce was never meant to be. God never meant Adam and Eve to be, uh, to be divorced. They were, they were meant to be with one another for life. Well, divorce was never meant to be. But because of human nature's hardness of heart, and his wickedness, God has simply allowed for the fact that the, the divorces were happening and tried to constrain uh, the, uh, the actual uh, uh, the, the, the divorce through Moses' laws. And, of course, the New Testament gives us the teaching which exposes the full injustice of what slavery is and indeed plants a ticking time bomb in, in, the, uh, in the Roman Empire. As more and more people became Christians, as more and more people understood the significance of Christian teaching about what, who human beings are, it actually, it actually was a, a ticking time bomb until finally, in due course, as more and more people became Christians, slavery itself got abolished in the Roman Empire. Now, I want us to notice, therefore, when we're starting off, um, you know, in Ephesians chapter 6, just for a second, uh, I want us to notice that Paul talks to the, to, the, to the bond servants and slaves. And he basically does something which, you know, he, he tells them, look, you're going to have to live with this. You're going to have to live with this, but not live with this uh, in a negative way, but positively glorifying God in the midst of this situation. And we're going to look at that in, in a minute. But in the 150 years or so before Paul wrote these letters, there have been three major slave rebellions in Italy, including two in Sicily, the, where, I, where I started the talk. And the result of these slave rebellions were hundreds of thousands of, of slaves being killed. Also, thousands of, Ro- of Romans, including thousands of Roman soldiers being killed. Uh, in, in, in uh, the, these massive slave rebellions. But, uh, but Paul wanted to, he, he didn't want to provoke a slave rebellion, a violent rebellion against an autocratic system. But what he wanted to do was to place into context the magnificent nature of what a Christian is, what a believer is, how free, really, the slave is compared to the slave owner, who, uh, the wicked slave owner, that is, and uh, to give them guidance for how they're to live their lives. But firstly, I want to briefly turn over to John chapter, uh, to John chapter 8, because I want, you, I want you to notice this, that Jesus actually talks about the nature of true slavery. What is the worst thing, much worse than mere physical bondage, but is actually actually. It's being in spiritual bondage. You see, as awful as the life of a slave could be, it's nowhere near as bad 
as the fate awaiting those who turn away from Christ and face the eternity of being a lost soul. Jesus talked about the outer darkness where men will weep and gnash their teeth and they will do it forever. This is, a, this is a terrible and awesome thing that happens to human beings that have passed through their 70 or 80 years of life on earth. Passed from whether they were a slave or a slave owner, rich or poor, man or woman, whatever their background, and they pass either into an eternity of peace and joy in the, pre- in the presence of the Lord or into the outer darkness. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8 that the people that are going to to actually uh, be saved and have a place in heaven are those who continue in the word of Jesus. Uh, If you can turn over to page on page 1063, you see Jesus says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And what freedom is he talking about? He's talking about freedom from sin. Freedom from the guilt of sin, free from the punishment of sin. And indeed, when he talks about um, the slave doesn't remain in the house, but the son remains forever, I think part of the meaning is this. There is an eternity in the house of God for those who are believers. Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. In my house, in my father's house, are many. In my father's place, there are many mansions. In heaven, there's many, many dwelling places for the people of God, where we will remain forever. But the slave of sin has no place in heaven, for reasons that we'll look at in a second. But those who abide in the word of Jesus, who trust Him, trust His teaching, and follow His follow His teaching, there is a wonderful life. You see, the thing is. Jesus says the truth will make us free. What free from? We're going to be free from from the lies of Satan. You see, the implication of the truth will set you free, of course, implies the other bit of it, which is the lies enslave you. Truth sets free, lies enslave. The devil lies. He lied for, he's a liar from the beginning, as well as a murderer from the beginning. He's, he's the father of lies. He tells a lie, lie to Eve that, oh yes, if you, if you go without God, you, you're going to be blessed. Or, you know, this wonderful fruit will give, give you the, the knowledge of good and evil and, and you'll be like God. A lie. She believes it. Adam believes it. They, they then are involved in, in the fall but God has a wonderful good news that he's going to bring into this world. And what happens? Satan puts a veil upon people's faces. They can't understand it. They don't want to understand it. But when the sun sets you free, you're going to be free indeed. The wonderful thing is, is that if anybody here or anybody online has started to understand that Jesus really is the glorious Son of God who gave his life for the world, then if you trust him, you will be free. You will be free of guilt because he died to get rid of your sins. You'll be free of the fear of death because he came to give eternal life. And through his death, we have life. We can no longer be fooled by the lies of the devil or the lies of the world. The lies of our heart. 
the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? Also, it says that the heart that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. The heart that, that still carries on in rebellion against God, wanting to be, to be first, wanting just to, to go our own way, is in rebellion against God. But we're believing a lie because we're not actually going to find happiness at the end of the rainbow of our own lusts. No, we're going to find nothing but eternal darkness and despair. We're trapped by uh, the ambushes of the, the, the devil and the, the honey traps the world gives us. And indeed, you know, uh, we, we, we actually are, we're so blind that we, we descend into a kind of madness where any excuse will do, you know, to prevent us coming to Christ. I was reminded of this, actually, when Vicky mentioned this morning about this chap who had a go, go at Vicky. She was witnessing to a man in, uh, in the open air in Stratford, and he, you know, ranted at her basically that how dare she talk about the consequences of living without Christ. Uh, and how dare you emotionally blackmail me? Because she was mentioning the consequences of a choice that he was making to live without Christ and therefore live for an eternity without Christ. And, without, and he objected to it and, it. and he said, you're emotionally blackmailing me. I mean, it's very strange, isn't it? Because... I mean, for 35 years, we've had politicians, uh, intellectuals, and various people in different, uh, different disciplines uh, telling horror stories and nightmare stories about how global warming, climate change, is going to destroy everything. You know, the, the, you know, there won't be anybody left because of it all. And for 35 years, they said, oh, until the year 2000, if we haven't changed it by 2000, the world will be a horrific place. We'll all be boiled alive. In the then it was 2010. And then it was 2020. Now they're saying in 2030. If we don't, if we don't change everything within a few... Uh, and it, it's like people can accept that kind of warning, but immediately you talk about spiritual things. Well, that's emotional blackmail. doesn't make any sense. But, of course, that is the lies that an excuse is, lying excuses that people give for not becoming Christians. And people are trapped in these lies. Jesus says, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Now here's, here is the point about slavery. The Bible talks about sin in similar terms that maybe we could think about the vi- cancer virus, you know. Because cancer starts off with, often I believe, just with a single cell mutating wrongly. But which then starts to multiply and grow and take over and, and make a, a large tumor, which then through the bloodstream, it... Uh, it, it it sends off other cells which grow in other parts of the body. And other tumors start to grow. It starts off small but gradually takes over. Now, the Bible makes it quite clear. Sin starts off small. It starts off with, in our mind. At some point, we refuse to acknowledge God. At some point. In, our, in, in the history of every, every, every man that's born, and woman that's born into this world. Adam first sinned, and since then we are now subject to this process, inevitably, as the descendants of Abraham. We refuse to really give God the thanksgiving that we should have, and we break his laws. And depending on how bad this virus starts to grow and how quickly it grows in our life, we might become a thief or a murderer even. Perhaps, though, it's very slow progress and, and we're able to control it and use some kind of, you know, uh, control in society. Uh, we're intimidated because we don't want to be humiliated and caught out as prisoners and so on and so forth. But gradually, 
uh, sin takes over our life. Now that's why Jesus says the slave does not remain in the house forever. Because we can't enter the, the dwelling place of God if our hearts still hate God. It's not possible. You know, people say, oh, it's terrible for God to send people to hell. We don't, God, in one sense, God isn't sending us to hell at all. We are, we, we are, we are creating for ourselves uh, a soul that cannot dwell in heaven, that is repelled from heaven. A deeply embittered, proud person cannot enter heaven. Hatred, lust, and lying deeply embedded within our soul that we've, we're refusing to allow Christ to cleanse makes us totally unable to breathe the air of heaven. And above all, the person who has sin in their life actually hates God. That's what Jesus said. He said, you hate me like your father the devil, who's a murderer from the beginning. You hate me. And it's shown by the fact you won't accept my word. My word finds no place in your life. But of course, there is this tremendous good news that Jesus was, was giving in this passage, very stern passage, but there's wonderful news. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now, now can I say to anybody in line that's listening, anybody in the church that hasn't yet come to Christ, Jesus can cleanse you from your sin, from your guilt. From, uh, can, he can relieve your fear of death because you, you know that you're with him. You, you, you can have the freedom to live in a different way because the Spirit of God will help you to worship him, to serve him, and, to, uh, you know, and, to, and to, to, to live with the fruits of the Spirit in your life. But Paul warns us in Galatians chapter 5, if you've become a Christian, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. That sometimes happens in our life for all kinds of reasons. He, to the Galatians, he particularly was warning them of the yoke of slavery, of legalism, of false doctrine, of false teaching. But it also happens in our own lives that we might be going on as a Christian and then, oh, we go back to our old ways. Don't go back into the slavery. But the great news is that there is forgiveness for wherever we've got into. That's the wonderful thing. There is forgiveness with the Lord. Now, so there is the true freedom. And I want us to just note, make this, this simple point about the Ephesian believers. This applied to slaves and slave masters. This wonderful transformation spiritually had happened to them. They had believed in Jesus and they were free inside. Free to serve God. And within that freedom, Paul is talking to them and giving them the instructions how to actually live their lives. Now you notice it starts off by saying this. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, what does that mean? Um, well, I want us to notice this, that fear and trembling is a word that Paul uses when he's talking about being dead serious about something. So for instance, he, um, he, he, he talked about when I came to, you, to people in Corinth, I came in fear and trembling, because I, I wanted to preach the cross and the cross alone. And he may have been in, in literally in fear and trembling, and some of us who've been preachers and, and preached before non-Christians sometimes feel that. You know, you feel, uh, uh, not a fear of the non-Christians you're preaching to, but a fear that you might not actually be preaching the gospel to them. And, and before God, that you'll be guilty of not actually declaring clearly the word of God. 
Uh, but Paul uses that expression on a, in a few times. He, he talks about this, this seriousness, this fear and tremor. So when he says to slaves, look, you've got to understand that your service for your earthly master actually is, is to be done in the context of a God who is awesome. It's not that you're serving this man. He might, he, he might be a, a, a decent bloke. He might not be cruel. He might not be, he might not be a, a terrible person to you. And he might treat you in quite well. Or he might be an absolute pig of a man who is vile and, 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 and is brutal and horrible. But whoever it is, you have to understand that before God you are responsible to live a life of love. To both forgive and love this man and be an advertisement for the gospel. Not just to the slave master, but to the whole world. I mean, he actually gives seven qualities, which uh, if you look down in the passage, you'll see. He says, uh, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, secondly, as you would Christ. Treat him as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Now, let's again put this in context. Paul is saying something quite startling both to the slave and to the slave master. Five centuries before Paul, Aristotle, the philosopher, who was kind of like the, uh, the man after Plato, considered to be the great, uh, the great philosopher and thinker of the ancient world. You know what Aristotle said about slaves? He says, slaves are simply tools with a soul in it. Roman law gave no rights uh, to a slave because the slave wasn't a person. And I mentioned last week how brutally a, a, um, slaves were treated, tortured. Um, they were treated as things. Uh, Aristotle actually said there can never be a friendship between a, a slave and his master, for they have nothing in common. For a slave is a living tool. It just so happens he's not an inanimate object. You know, he's just like a hammer or, 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 a, or, a, or a screwdriver. But he's worth... No, you can't have a friendship with just a tool. Now, that was the Greek view of slavery. I mean, the whole of, 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 the, of Athens was based... Uh, Athenian life and culture was, was only possible because of slavery. Now, what does Paul do? In this passage, Paul says, no, a slave isn't subhuman, or indeed, as Aristotle said, not human... He's an equal with you. He says to the slave master, as we'll see in a minute, that he is as significant before God as you are. Now, Paul isn't calling um, for violent rebellion to the slave. But what he's doing is, is planting a truth, a doctrine, that eventually will lead to the erosion and then destruction of the idea of slavery in the Roman Empire. Because suddenly he's saying, look, slave owner over there, slave there, sit together, share fellowship together. You're one, all one in Christ. There is neither slave nor free. That's what he says in Galatians. You know, if we can see the revolutionary nature 
of the early churches, where people who are considered to be non-persons, non-objects, are told that they are loved by God. They're the sons and daughters of God of equal value as the slave owners. Now, of course, he didn't want slaves um, to use uh, the teaching of equality, which, of course, is what's being saying here, um, to uh, encourage slaves to actually um, despise their masters. Um, If we could turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 3, we can see a flavor of, of how Paul... Uh, is uh, telling the, uh, the actual slaves uh, to regard their masters. So in uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 1, he says, that's on page 1180, let all who are under a yoke of slavery as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So, we have here a society which, which produces two people in totally different uh, parts of the spectrum together and say, they're beloved. The slave master, sorry, the, the slave owner is, is beloved. And the... Uh, the slave is also a beloved brother, part of the family. Paul, therefore, when he says bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, is saying that you were born in this situation. And within that system, the vile and terrible system of slavery, how it works, how it basically works in every country, but all, all the same... You are to be living in it in fear and trembling, serving God. Paul's gospel introduces both slave and slave owner into a new brotherhood. It raises the slave from a despair over slavery in his life into joy in Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal liberty and glory. In the church, the slave owner is equal to the slave. Now, I'll turn from that for a minute just to point out this. Um, how does this apply to us today? Uh, some people, I've read quite, quite a few commentaries, say, oh, well, this applies exactly the same way to people who are employees today. Well, I can't see that at all. Paul was not a slave. Paul was a tent maker, um, ran his own business. He took on contracts you know, for so many, so many tents, presumably, or he made tents and sold them in the market. Either way, Paul wasn't the slave. Uh, he, had, he had the freedom to, to take employment or not to take employment. We are not slaves. You can take a job. You have a contract, 40 hours a week, 35 hours a week, 50 hours a week, whatever it is. And uh, so we're not slaves. But the principles that Paul has talked about do, do pertain to us, which is, of course, that we owe, uh, we owe sincerity of heart, to go through these lists of things again, uh, working, uh, doing our work as, it, as we're doing it for Christ, as if and actually as if we're doing it for Christ. Not by just way of eye service, as people please us, not, uh, you know, um, 
you know, making something, supposing we're in the business of making things, and when people are watching, you know, we're making a cake, we make this beautiful cake, but when people aren't watching, we just are rubbish and don't really work very well at all. We consistently produce the finest work because we're doing it for Christ, as slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not man. Now, those principles apply to us as workers. It applies to us who, are, who are preach and are pastors. It applies to a housewife. It applies to a house husband. It applies to those who are retired as well as to those in employment. That whatever we're doing, we give quality to it because we're doing it for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ whose eyes are upon us all the time. And uh, we're not therefore to, to take the mick. But with the greatest seriousness possible, seek to, um, to work for the Lord. Now notice, uh, he, he says, uh, and I'll just go through uh, one or two of those other qualities before I finish. He talks about, um, not by way of eye services, people pleasers. Um, in other words, not just to get a pat on the back uh, from, from human beings, but doing it because we delight to serve our Lord Christ. I, you know, I delight to do your will, O Lord, it says in the Old Testament, doesn't it? I delight to do your will. And the Lord wants us to delight to do our work, whatever it is. And that, this includes, of course, domestic tasks. You know, the, the, the New Testament says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. Do it as unto the Lord. Rendering service with a good will, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 7. And uh, in, 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 in times of slavery in the Roman Empire, the slave accepted that, look, this present unjust state of affairs is, is there. I am a slave, and uh, my master may be cruel, he may be abusive, but in this, I, in this area, I am going to show every Christian quality. I will forgive, I will love. Paul doesn't specifically say that, but clearly in the rest of his letters he constantly calls all Christians to show forgiveness and love and kindness, returning good for evil. Overcoming evil by good. And uh, verse 8 of Chapter 6 says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Now, when Adam fell, the world was subject to vanity, subjected to vanity. That's what Paul says, isn't it, in, in, uh, in Romans. And actually, also, if we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it uses the, the word... The, uh, the, uh, meaninglessness, vanity, the, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses, uses the same word that Paul uses in, uh, uh, about the world being subjected to vanity. And what does he say? In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, well, you know, the, the sun comes up, the sun comes down, everything remains the same. People work, they do things, then they're forgotten. A good man works really well, does great things, then his son takes over and it all messed up. Nothing really changes. Everything is meaningless. Everything is vanity. Now that happened through the fall. 
Now, within the constraints of the fall, that we live in a vain world. I mean, empires, any empire eventually falls. Any country one day, you know, goes down into, goes down into, into, um, into decay and is no longer great. Within the constraints of the fall, of the fact that we're going to die, you know, one day, that our work will be forgotten, our work will not be remembered. Within those constraints where... You know, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that the world without God is one of meaninglessness, where people will never remember you. A tree falls down dead. Who knows about it? That's just the same as the lot of every human being. But what does the word of God say? Knowing whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. In a world of vanity, the slave doing really tough tough work, perhaps being, do, do, being worked to death on some mind, but all of the same, the Lord sees, the Lord remembers. Now within, the, therefore, the constraints of slavery, the evil system of subjugation, tyranny, theft of souls, and the injustice of it all, in that situation, in your unjust position, the Lord says, I'm you are to understand that you are going to bear with this system and bear with your life for the Lord Jesus Christ who is ruler of all. And the slave says, the Christian slave says in his mind, and maybe, maybe, maybe someone said this once to an owner, I don't know. I will offer you respect and affection and obedience, not because you own my soul, but because Christ who loves me owns my soul and he's told me to give you all of the honor all of, the, all of the respect and affection that, that you deserve and more. And it is a privilege to do so. Now, as I said, it must have been difficult for, for slaves in the Roman Empire or Christian slaves in whatever country they were in over these, these thousands, 2,000 years in which Christians have fallen into slavery in different parts of the world. But the message of Christ was a ticking time bomb. Look at what Paul says to the, to, the, uh, to, the, to the owner. He says, Masters, do the same to them. What, what does he mean doing the same to them? Well, do good to them. Knowing whatever good anyone does this, you will receive back from the Lord. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. He's talking to Christians there. He obviously would realize that some Christians were slave owners and they treated their slaves with threatening. Stop your threatening, knowing that he was both their masters and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. I hope that the Ephesian owners of slaves proved to be uh, the, kind of, the kind of owners of slaves that Jesus would, um, would be proud of. Men and women who were slave owners, who were gentle and kind, and maybe even were able to free their slaves. Maybe they were able to actually free their Christian slaves. We know that happened on, on some, many occasions, actually. Uh, slaves were freed, and maybe many of these, these, uh, these masters that Paul was talking to through Ephesians, throughout uh, the Christian world, actually became that kind of person. But let ourselves understand that God looks at our work life, whether it be as a housewife, whether it be as in a career, 
whatever stage of life we're in, he sees our work as part of our worship of him, part of our service to him. And may the Lord help us to actually offer quality in all those different areas in which we serve him.